This week's episode is a recording of a conversation produced by Tiffany Earle and Anelody Milne, the founders of Lemmy. We've done our best to enhance the audio of the 20-year-old conference call. While the sound may not be the best, the content is a classic. Welcome to the first group call of the year. We're so excited. This is Tiffany Earle and my partner, Anelody Milne. The, the name of today's call is vision casting. And I hope that as many of you that aren't driving or something can uh, remember to come with paper and pencil in front of you. I want to tell you a story about a very good example of someone who vision cast. And in the movie Facing the Giants, the coach is talking to his team. He's trying his football team. That's right. Many of you have seen Facing the Giants. So the coach is talking to his football team, and they're resisting him. What he's doing is vision casting because he wants to prepare them for the coming year. Okay? They are resisting him. And even the captain complains and says, man, if that team is this this strong and this fast and this and this that, we can't beat them. All right? And I want you to think in your mind, if you've ever had a picture of something and you ever know something and you're trying to share it and your children, maybe it's with your family, they're resisting it. Maybe you're trying to say, look, we can have a home that has harmony. We don't have to have strife. We don't have to have contention. This happened to me just yesterday. I was trying to vision cast, and my daughter said, yeah, but... JoJo just keeps teasing me, you know, so she started to blame and started to dampen, and it, it's, this is very common. So here the coach is talking. He's, he wants to cast a vision, and the team is resisting him. I think that's common with us, Tiffany. Are we going to have people resisting us? Our children, yeah. our students? Absolutely. Sometimes our spouses. It's human nature because the resisting comes in the form of blaming, it comes in the form of complaining, and it comes in the form of criticizing. It, it, it's making excuses. It, it's just natural. It's a natural. It, it just happens, okay? But you can, you can tell when there's resistance when any of those four things happen, when someone becomes critical, if they start blaming, if they start complaining, if, if they justify then you know that that it's being resisted. And that's absolutely normal. And so the very first thing we should do is say, oh, it's resistance. Oh, no problem. I know how to deal with this, right? That's, that's right. <laughs> okay. So, so here's what the coach does. He listens. He listens for a second. He looks at him. He looks around at the other boys looks to the ground for a second, he looks back at him, and that part is very important because he is detecting their the state of, of their heart, and he's finding, he's using his spiritual eyes to find out what the real problem is. And in this case, the real problem was that they had a mental roadblock and their heart wasn't right. So he continues his vision casting, and he does the crawl. I, I hope all of you have seen this movie. If not, go check it out today. He blindfolds the, the captain because, of course, the captain has the position power and the authority power in the group. 
And so it doesn't matter if the other however many boys believe him. If the captain doesn't, the captain will thwart him the entire year. And so he knows he's got to reach the captain. And so he has the captain blindfolded. He gets somebody, and he has him kneel down on the football field, and he puts another boy on his back. Okay, so the captain's kneeling down. He's got another boy on his back holding on. He's and not kneeling on his knees, though. He's got his feet. That's right. He goes up on to his feet. That's right. His knees don't touch the ground. So he's on his hands and feet doing the crawl. And he says, do you think that you can do like 30 yards or something like that or 50? Or he gives him a challenge and he says, oh, and he says, I don't want you to think about how far you're going. I just want you to go. And so the captain is blindfolded and he's going now. He's crawling across the football field with, with another football player on his back. And pretty soon, his legs are burning, and his arms are burning, and he can barely breathe, and he's screaming out, I can't do it anymore, and the captain is down in his face on his hands and knees. Coach. The coach. The coach. Yeah, the coach is, thank you. And he's yelling at him, come on, Brock, come on, you can do it, you know, keep on coming, keep on coming, don't quit on me, don't quit on me, and he's crawling, and he's crawling, and he's crawling, and you told me you'd give me your best, you told me you'd give me your best, don't quit until it's your best. That's right, and he's just yelling at him, and what he's doing is he's vision casting, the team doesn't know what he's doing, but that's what he's doing, he's totally breaking their mental barrier of what's possible, okay, because Brock can't see, he does not know how far he's crawled. And so his mental barrier is being broken by, I don't know, by triple what he's ever thought he could do. And if, had he not had that blindfold on, he would have stopped where his mental barrier was. But he had that blindfold on, and pretty soon the whole football team is standing and following in total silence and amazement because all of their mental barriers are shattered. Because they've never, ever seen anyone do the death call across the entire field. Never. That's right. That's right. And he death crawls across the entire field. And what happens as he does this, and he, he gets across there, and, I mean, he must have been burning. It was not a state of how strong he was. It was not a state of any of those other things. What they learned was that it was a state of their heart. No more excuses could be had. No more, you know, um, resistance could be had because of the way that the coach vision cast. And that's what that whole thing was, is they had a completely new vision of themselves, of each other, and of what was possible. And that's the topic of what we want to talk about today. And we want to talk about four things that are intrinsic in vision casting that have to be done before you can even vision cast. Okay. What you're saying is what, you, what we're going to talk about is what exactly did the coach do in order to be able to get to the place of asking them to break their mental block? Yes and no. Yes and no. What was the homework the coach did before he got there? That's right. We're going to talk about the first half because he, we're not going to necessarily talk about his strategy at the end, but we are going to talk about the things that happened before the strategy because the strategy will be different every time we vision cast. And we can talk about that 
possibly another time, maybe if we have time at the end of the call today. We're going to talk about four parts of vision casting, but it's not everything. Can I, before we start into those four parts, Tiffany, can I interject something here? Yes. Before we start vision casting, we know we, we need to know exactly what it is that I want to be that I want, and yes. we need to define it. So, if I want a liberal arts education, I need to define it's a liberal arts education that I'm doing. If I want to run a marathon, I need to define if it's you know whatever it is that I think is impossible in my life or I think is so imperative on my life that I absolutely have to have. I've got to define it. I yes. have to say, this is what I want. Yes. Yep. And you do that at the beginning and you do it again in step two. And, and you do it continually all the way through. That's right. It, because those of you who are in the classroom, when you think about it and what's possible in your classrooms this year and what is it, and I'm going to ask you this, what is it that you really want to have feeling now, be careful not to have a whole bunch of do's, like I want to do this and I want to do this and I want to do this, because then if those don't happen, you could end up being really frustrated. What you need to nail is what you want to end up happening. What feeling do you want in your classroom? And when I say classroom, I could also mean your home. Say, for instance, that you're going to pick evenings. I did this seven years ago. It might have even been more than seven years ago. It was before... Oliver and Rachel DeMille came out with their incredible article that had the 53 ingredients on the Corn Love of Learning article. And one of the ingredients that they talk about in there I think is so important. And they talk about evenings and how important evenings are in the home and what goes on during the evening. Well, I remember seven years ago looking at our evenings and being really dissatisfied. And I dared to dream. I dared to say, ideally, what would the evenings look like in our home? Knowing that I couldn't and shouldn't force or manipulate or control what my husband did. Knowing that my only rightful power was to inspire him. Because both of us were going to impact the evenings in our home. So I remember doing exactly what you said, Melody, which is facing myself saying, what is it I really want? Yeah. What is it I really want? Okay. And that is very important. So I hope that each of you right now pick something. Pick something that you want to focus on. You know what that something is. Is it your classroom? Is it how mornings go at your home? Is it how mom school goes inside your home? Is it how mentoring goes with a particular child? What is it that you're going to pick? So choose something right now to vision cast with it. We'll take you through the process. That's right. Okay. Hopefully you've you've picked one thing to, to do this with because you can do it with everything, but pick one thing right now. Here is the first thing that has to happen. You have to become self-aware. You need to become cognizant. You need to be brutally self-honest with with your own self and with taking responsibility for your life and for your actions. In other words, no blaming. I could have sat around all day long and said, man, our evenings aren't what I want because after Rick comes home from work, he works again. You know, I could have 
sat there and blamed or complained or blah, blah, blah. You can't do that if you're going to take this first step because this first step is complete 100% responsibility for your life. And you, and if you catch yourself, but he, or but she, or if only, if you catch yourself doing that, you just have to stop yourself dead in the tracks and say, no, I'm going to say I. Yes, because this is not what you're doing. What you're doing is just defining what it is that you want. You're not whining and complaining about it. You're just stating it. Just make a statement, this is what I want, and don't give any excuses. Just put it down on a piece of paper, this is what I want. Right, this is what I want, become cognizant of that. Absolutely realistic that what it is that you're defining you want is what you can vision cast. Yes, and here's the second part of that is is not only are you becoming in tune with what you thought you've wanted, okay, but this true state of where you're at. Complete self-honesty, let me tell you a story. And sometimes some of you, depending on where and when you've heard us speak, you may rehear stories and there's power in it. So, And this is a classic story, so I'm going to share it. About um, Enzio Busche, who was a Hitler youth in Germany. He was 13, almost he was 14 when the war ended. He is now a young man in his early 20s, newly married, and he found himself with a rare liver disease in the hospital in Germany, and they said he was going to die. There was nothing they could do for him. And not only that, let me add some a couple of other things. His father was lost in the war in some POW camp, and for three years after the war, they, they couldn't find him, and finally one day he just walked into the house. He was without a father for three years after the war, and his house that he lived in was completely in absolute ruins. It was bombed. There was nothing left. All they had was a piece of property. He came home from a POW camp at the age of 14 years old, walked under a piece of property with no house, barely was able to find his sisters and his mother, and his father was missing, and everything he'd ever dreamed of in his whole entire life was completely in shatters at that moment. And it it took him many years to start rebuilding his life again. Right. What happened to him happened to many of the German people, and that is that they became disillusioned that there could be any good because they had believed in so much good and had been so duped by Hitler and then found out in the end that they were the bad guys. And so they became very facetious almost, and that happened to him too. And so here he is in his early 20s dying in the hospital of a liver disease, and Here's what he says. As he contemplated his impending death, the emotional pain he felt began to exceed the physical pain. He said, I was confronted with the certain expectation of my death. I felt indescribable panic. What started very slowly suddenly erupted into complete recognition of who I was. I saw myself confronted As in a sharp, focused mirror, I could not escape being confronted with absolute truth. Now, uh, what I'm reading from is the book that Anelody and I are publishing on the principles of mentoring in our parent mentoring series. I'm reading from part of that. So some of this is my words and some of this is his words, okay? This is me again. We do not have to face death in order to face ourselves. We just have to practice self-honesty. 
And as parents, we try not only to live up to our truth potential, but to inspire our children to do so as well. Enzio continues, I felt unclean, completely unfinished, and unprepared to leave this life for the unknown. I prefer to become extinct rather than to meet that dimension of eternity in such an unprepared way. I was full of panic as I saw myself stripped of any protection. It was such a shocking awakening that I wanted with every fiber of my being to escape. He then promised himself that if a recovery was made, he would live in, quote, complete awareness of his conscience, in complete awareness of the need to report about everything, every word, every feeling, and every thought of my life. He promised himself he would live differently, that he would never submit himself to an insensitive lifestyle. Quote, in the light of that experience, every little incident of not living up to my true potential became an unspeakable burden. My lack of gratitude for even the small things I had received in my life, the air I was able to breathe, and the flowers by the wayside. Now, this is coming from someone who was in half starvation for the last eight years of his life, practically. Maybe not complete starvation, but they had times of starvation. They had times where all he had was a little teeny piece of bacon and a bread crust for the entire day. And he's saying this. He came to a place in his life where, because it was so much physical pain, he turned off emotionally and spiritually. He just had to turn off. He chose to turn off because he didn't want to feel the pain anymore. So he's coming to a whole new realization in his life. Right. My feelings towards my parents and the teachers I had throughout my life all changed, as if I was able to see them in their true character and understand their positive desires. And they'll learn to have to spiritualize as the receiver. And yet, the feeling he captures when he talks about not living up to his true potential and the unspeakable burden is part of what it means to take a self-honest look at ourselves. As parents and as teachers, our greatest desire is to help our children live up to their truest potential, becoming the man or woman God intends for them to be. And it takes being able to see what that potential is, being able to see how to inspire each unique child, being able to see the right next step and able to inspire our child to choose it. Part of vision casting has to do with the the overarching theme that we talk about, having the spiritual eyes. Developing spiritual eyes is possible, and it's what mentoring is. Mentoring is having the spiritual eyes to know how to help our protege take the right next step in reaching their potential. And no mentoring is as vital or significant as parent mentoring. Okay, that was part of from the book that and the books Annelie and I are writing. Now, bringing this back to the first step of becoming cognizant. For us to vision cast with greater power, we first of all have to face ourselves. It's the most important step of the whole thing, that because. We can vision cast dishonestly, and as soon as we vision cast dishonestly, it comes with all kinds of expectations, and when people fail us, it gets us frustrated and it gets us angry. We have to vision cast with absolute honesty of who we are and what it is that our weaknesses are 
and that that this is not a, a journey that we can take by ourselves. Okay. This is a journey we absolutely have to have God helping us with. So the the first step is to become aware and cognizant and take responsibility for where you're at. Now, here's the good thing about that. As soon as we do, it's very important to be real. To be very real and to realize that when we truth speak with ourselves, we're finally going to get that soul force that Gandhi is talking about. Here's the truth. Some of you might want to just throw this out and say, no, I want a different truth. (laughs) Okay, feel free. (laughs) Uh, Here's the truth. In all of our personal foibles and weakness, we can still be used for good. All we have to do is ask. Isn't that amazing? Is that not amazing? Tiffany, you are absolutely weak. And you still can be used for good. That's right. It's just that that is so amazing to me that I don't have to be without mistake. Without mistake. I don't That's right. Mistakes. And and so as soon as you come to face yourself and see your strength and your weakness, you know, and you're self-honest and you take responsibility for your strengths and your weaknesses, then all you have to do is ask and put it out there and say, I have good intentions and I want to do this good right here. And this is what I want. Yes, and this is what I want. And so that's where I want to tell you, I was never able to do this until I met you. You have such strength in this vision casting. I remember when I first met you and I said, you said to me, okay, this is my vision. This is what I want. I'm telling you, it made me stick to my stomach. I thought to myself, there's just no way that will ever happen in my life and I'm not going to be part of it. That was the first thing I did because I've always told people I'm a non-believer. I'm very pessimistic. And I met a woman who's so optimistic and could see these great, amazing things happening. Great. And was not afraid. This is part of it. And Elodie, you're reminding me of this part. Because in the roles that all of us who are on this call play, we're choosing to open our eyes and see something that is true. Something that is true about our children. Something that is true about our students. Something that is true about ourselves and about our spouse. On the great side of true. And it's it's funny that you talk about your reaction in Elodie because all I knew was from my point of view what I saw in you. Yeah. All That's I know true. is the truth that I knew. You saw it, but I didn't. Right. And that's the place that every one of us play. That's a role that all of us play. We know things about our children if we choose to see it. I have a sister that this has been a role I've played with a whole life. She was the little she was a little baby when I was ten and was the one that was on my hip for the first two years of her life and I loved her and I knew her and she's gone down whatever path she's chosen to go down. I have never forgotten my vision of who she is. Ever. And if I ever get the chance to be in her presence, I bear witness 
to her of who she is. Do you know how many voices in this world lie to her about who she is? you know how many voices besides the self-talk that she herself has that continually beat up the, her image of who she is? And if we can be that voice, if we can be that person who actually will receive and see the truth, the greatness in each other, oh, what good we can do. And there will be no power that can stop us. The, the, the reason why we spend so much time on becoming self-aware is because we're not talking about looking at people as saying, oh, look how much better they are than I am. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is complete honesty. Wow, look at this beautiful creation that God created. I had a, an interesting experience. The, the advanced leadership training that we did called the Power of Leadership really moved and changed me. And we invited Kemi Mitchell and... Jonathan Rhodes, Tiffany's brother and sister, to come and present the first part of the seminar to us. And they took us through some exercises, and they took us, you know, just some, just making ourselves aware of things. And I realized, I had this big realization that I am unable to be friendly to people that scare me because I'm, I'm not afraid of them, I'm afraid of myself. And we went on this trip to Washington as a family right after the seminar. And I decided that I was going to see everybody as God's creations and as beautiful as they are and the greatness potential in them. And I was going to vision cast that because I needed to overcome my insecurity. And I had a really neat experience. I was, we were at a gas station, pulled up. Putting, having gas put in the car, and I saw this homeless guy with this cart, and I just visualized him who God created. I just saw it, and I saw myself as his friend. He was completely honest, and I walked over to him and I said, "Hi, my name is Melody," and I put my hand out to him, and shook his hand, and I said, "Looks like you're up to something here. Tell me about it." You know, I just oh, my gosh, I couldn't believe I had a conversation with this homeless guy with this cart. Normally, I would have ignored him and walked away and turned my head because I was afraid of myself. But instead, we had this nice little chat. I gave him a good smile. I'm hoping that I cheered his day. He cheered my day. It's because I was able to be completely honest with myself and then move out of it. Right. Right. That's what's so beautiful about the realization that when we become self-honest, we realize that truth that with all of our imperfections, with all of our weaknesses, with all of the mistakes we make, we can still be used for good. All we have to do is intend it and ask. That is huge. Because so many people think, oh, I have to be perfect before. Oh, I can't do that because I know my weaknesses. So it's kind of an excuse. It's really a deception because the truth is embrace ourselves for where we are and intend to do good. As let me tell you, are now. You'll know that you're in that space. I have to be this or I have to be perfect before I can do this. If you are looking at other people saying, they're not perfect, why are they doing that? <laughs> oh, that's a good one, Anelody. <laughs> 
That's a good one, and it's very true. When we get critical of other people who are trying to do good, very good. And how many of us have been there and know it? Okay, here's what it is. It's important to dream. Our intentions are very important. The choice is ours. What is it we want? We have to find out. This is crazy. This is one of the hardest steps. One of the hardest steps is to know what we want. I mean, there's a common story going around about someone sitting in a restaurant and they order chicken noodle soup and the waitress is coming to bring it and they say, oh, wait, I changed my mind. I, I, I want tomato soup. So the waitress brings the chicken noodle soup back and goes to put the order in for the tomato soup and the person sitting in the restaurant is going, man, what's taking them so long? My goodness, I've already been here 15 minutes. And pretty soon comes the tomato soup and he says, I, I, I'm, I'm really sorry, I really want the chicken noodle. So the waitress says, okay. So she turns around and goes back, and the guy's sitting there. What is taking her so long? I've been here 20 minutes now. Where is my soup? Everybody else has got their soup. Why don't I have mine? Okay. But how many of us aren't decided on what it is we want? How many of us haven't taken the time to spiritually create and visualize and decide what we want? And here's the crazy thing. There to dream because we are the ones who put the mental blocks thinking we can't possibly. If you want your evenings to look a certain way, dare. Dare to dream what that way could be, what that way could feel like, what it could taste like. If you want your classroom to be as incredible as the best class you've ever been in by the best mentor you've ever been with, Dare to dream it. If you want your relationship with your spouse to be incredible. Now, we realize that other people have choice. That's okay. Let them have choice. This is about the part that you put into the pot. This is about the part that you do have responsibility over. And it sometimes can be a lot of work to actually know what it is that you really want. That in, in the book, As a Man Thinketh, and I love this so much because there is so much out there right now on attracting things into your life. And there are some really important truths in all of these books that are, that are published about attracting things into your life. This is one of my most favorite that I believe is all the way truthful. In As a Man Thinketh, he says that it's not what you want that you attract. Now, I can't tell you how many self-help books I've read just in the last two years that say that you attract what you want, okay? And as a man thinketh, he says it's not what you want that you attract. He says it is what you are that you attract. There's a slight difference there. That is why in a Thomas Jefferson education, the principle, you, not them. That's right, because you have to become it first. We're interrupting this broadcast to invite you to ask questions or share your epiphanies in the comments section. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider leaving us a good review on the platform you are using, because that really helps others find our content. Also, check out our website at lemmymentortraining.com. That's huge, Melody. Okay, so when you find out what it is you, your strongest intentions and what it is that you really want, 
you have to face yourself and say, I need to become it then. In my evenings, when my family's all around, if I want peace, if I want love, if I want forgiveness, if I want service, if I want happiness, I have to be happy. I have to be love. I need to be, in, and you have to realize, oh, that's my intention. My intention is to become loving. My intention is to become happy. My intention is to forgive and to find peace quicker. You see how these you see how these match? You find out what your intention is and then you take we take a hundred percent responsibility. If you think you want a classroom this year that's fun and that you laugh and that you cry and that you can be really honest with each other and that you can inspire, then you know it's you need to become those things. Tiffany, I'll tell you, I think the biggest roadblock right here is that in order to become, you have to experience pain. So if I want to say to myself, I want to become more forgiving because I want forgiveness, it's very painful. You have to look at yourself and ask yourself, where am I not forgiving? Or if I want to have impact in my community. Yeah. Oh, and Melody, how true what you say how true it is because say we're asking our children to forgive each other quicker. That's a really good one, okay? And we say, look, I know he teases. Forgive him. Or I know she used your crayons and ruined him. Please forgive her or or whatever we're asking. It's true. We have to ask ourselves, have I forgiven? Have I been forgiving? This is the Gandhi principle. It really is because he understood this so much. That's why he had so much soul force. That's why he saw Tikraha worked for his entire country because he understood this principle. To face himself honestly and to see if he had room for improvement. And then, in all his weakness, intend to do better and to start right exactly where he was. I have this really incredible story about the power of intentions when you do this. Okay? I've been reading a friend's ancestors journal okay i have a friend bernie demille she descends from the johnson line and i don't know if it's her sixth great grandfather or what but it's benjamin franklin johnson's memoirs on his life called my life's review and i got to this section this week knowing about what anelody and i were going to talk to you about and i couldn't believe it right here in this man's journal from five six generations ago is this principle on vision casting, and on how important our intentions are. Because if the man, when he asked for chicken noodle soup, she went to get him the chicken noodle soup. Okay, Then he changed his mind. She went to get him the tomato soup. Then he changed his mind. We do this all the time. Our intentions are so important. If we can become cognizant of our intentions and to deliberately choose our intentions, so many great things can happen. Here's what happened to B.F. Johnson. A famine had hit. They lived in Utah. And the wheat had all been sold to people who had come across the plains to go to California to go dig for gold. Okay, They had had an abundance of wheat, and they were so excited to have money that the 
people who lived in Utah had sold the wheat against the counsel of those who were leading them. They had sold it for money. So now they had money and a famine hits and they have no wheat. This is the state of the people. And so he is with his wife and they have been given two sacks of flour. All right? And he says that he and his wife decided, he says, whenever we heard that any of our neighbors were without bread, a share was taken to them. And he said that he and his wife put the intention out and decided together that they would turn away no person from their table. That although all they had was two sacks of flour to get them through the entire winter, which literally it was not enough, they said they would turn no person away, that they would have an abundance, that they would share and that they would give, and that when it ran out, but that they would give. Okay? And they had the intention and the hope that their flower would increase. Okay? So they said that here they were. His wife's name was Sarah Melissa. They had decided that anything that remained in those two sacks, no one should go from us hungry. All right? And whenever we heard that any of our neighbors were without bread, a share was taken to them. And there stood our two sacks of bread stuff side by side in the one and only room we then occupied. How often did our eyes turn, wondering to see that they were not yet nearly empty, until a conviction strong as knowledge itself assured us that the Lord had accepted our offering and that our bread was like the widow's meal and cruise of oil. Realizing that so many were in scarcity, while we had felt no lack, I did not wish to pass through. This is interesting because here his intention changes. I did not wish to pass through the approaching harvest without realizing a little of that scarcity of which others had felt so much. I said to my wife in a partly thoughtless way that as we have as yet seen no scarcity, I hoped our bread would be out a week or two, that we might more fully realize what others had suffered. Our assurance of bread had become to us a principle of faith without fear, so we kept on doing as we had and took no further thought even to look at the sacks until about ten days before a new supply would come. My wife said, Benjamin, our bread is all gone. At first I felt a little surprise and chagrin, but in a moment I remembered what I had said, and I knew the Lord had taken me at my word, and so I felt joy in our scantiness, for it brought an assurance that the Lord hears our words as well as knows our conditions and desires and that he is near us when we are humble and meek. Okay. Those were in his own words and his own conviction. The principle remains that if we can know our intentions and we are in that state and because if he asks for chicken noodle soup, it's coming. If he continues to change it, he's not really manifesting his intention. He doesn't know what he really intends. And so that's one of that's why we have to become cognizant. That's why we have to become aware. We have to become aware of ourselves and take 100% responsibility and become aware of what our intentions really are. So what you're saying is Benjamin Franklin Johnson was completely aware that he chose to say, I would like to suffer. Yeah. 
<laughs> and that feeling that came on him, honestly, came from somewhere, you know, and he accepted it. And he said, yeah, I want to feel what all my neighbors have felt. I want to know a little bit of the scantiness so that I can have more compassion or for whatever purpose. And he may not have realized he had that intention at first, but he had that intention and that's what came on him. And he resigned himself to it and submitted to it, you know, humbly. And instead of fighting it, it's just interesting, the power of our intentions. I just want to bring that before our eyes. And we've already talked about the third step of being real. And Elodie gave us such a good example of being real and saying, I know that I'm the one that's scared. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to go talk to him, you know, this stranger who lives so differently than I live. That's very important for us, especially when we vision cast, to actually be real with no pretensions. People who can detect realness before anybody else can detect it are children. Children are real detectors. They really are. They know if somebody's lying to them. They know if somebody loves them. They know if they're just real. There's the step of actually being real, and then there's the step of detecting what those around you are emanating as their intentions or as what they're communicating. The coach in Facing the Giants knew that it was the state of the heart in his team that was off. He knew it was the state of his heart. He knew it was the state of his heart. It started with him. Then he knew it was the state of their heart. That's right. That's how come he could take him to that level. Absolutely. I really love the story of Lucy Rand in the book And There Was Light because when he lost his eyesight, he had to learn how to detect in a more honest way and how to hear the quality of someone's voice or what was said, how to see. He got a strange sight, and there are many people who are blind who get this kind of sight if they can. He said he would lose this second sight if he was ever angry or blaming or criticizing, any of those things that we talked about already, justifying, he would lose his second sight. So if he was in that state, he said he would walk around the familiar room and he would bump into everything and hurt himself. He said if he would get out of that state and move into a state of acceptance and of love and not criticizing, but just being and being okay with who he was and and with who other people were, then he had this second sight. He would know where the chair was. He would know where the tree was outside. He could see color that wasn't normal color. He could see whatever he could see emanating. It was really a second kind of sight. But he could only have that ability if he wasn't in that other state, that negative state. And so he practiced this because he lost his sight when he was about eight. So when he was in high school or, or college age, he was – in a class and the professor came in and the professor started to teach just like he did every day. And Lucy Rand could see the truth and he could detect that something was really wrong. And he looked around the classroom and all of his classmates, just they couldn't detect anything. They were just listening to the lecture like everything was fine. And he just, he was so torn because he could feel all this pain coming from his professor. He could feel like, 
my gosh, why are you, like, it was totally wrong to be sitting in class talking about what they were talking about when something was so wrong. And it wasn't until the end of the day that he found out that the professor's wife had left him that morning. And he could detect that because he chose to be able to detect that. He chose to allow people to communicate what was real. How many times do we get with our families and with our students and we hear only their words? And that does not communicate the truth very often. Oftentimes the words can be very misleading. And we say, well, that's what they're communicating. So we get stubborn. I have a friend who really only listens to the words. And when the words are miscommunicating, they are so stubborn, they pretend they totally pretend that is exactly what was communicated. I can't tell you how frustrating it must feel to be that person who is shutting off all the other levels of communication that we as human beings have. Yes, and I'll tell you right now, our children really know the truth. They know the truth. And so when we are lying to them because we are afraid of the truth ourselves and we won't face the truth ourselves, when we say, I'm not hurting, and we really are hurting, or when we say, no, I totally believe that you're so capable of doing this, and we really don't believe it, they know. They absolutely know. And when we're too afraid to look at the truth, we only confuse them more. So we have to really decide, do I really believe that they are capable and that they have the, the ability to do X, Y, Z, whatever it is that's in, that they're, it's in their intention. Do we really believe that they have the ability to play the violin and become a great concert master? Or whatever it is that they're, they're looking for in their life. It's only when we can truly go into our heart and say, yes, I believe in my child's complete potential that he will be guided or she will be guided by you, God, because I'm their mother or their father, and I pray for them every day, and you, all flesh is in your hands, God. That's when we can honestly, truly say, yes, I believe in you. I believe in you, Johnny. And that's when they can hear it. That's right. I love the story and Elodie that you tell about Confucius and the intention that he set out and how it really served him. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I've just recently been studying Confucius and some and his life and some of his teachings and been really moved. And I realized that I see in Confucius things that I've seen in great men and women that I've studied, especially Gandhi. You know, I see him. And Confucius became a great teacher. And you should look and study why a person becomes a great teacher or why a person becomes a great leader and, and is able to move the cause of liberty. And I noticed that he had this same characteristic of vision casting. What he said was, all the great thoughts, all the things to be known, are, are already known. It is our job to discover what it is and seek for it in the, in the great work of the men and women who've gone before us. At that time in China, the great work that they looked in, that they had was the Tao Te Ching, 
and he turned all heads to, toward the Tao Te Ching, which was their core book. And he got the students to look to the great men and women who came before them to build on their original thoughts or their ideas. And his intention was, it's already out there, we will find it. And he set that in. You just have to ask and listen. Right. And he just set that intention. Anything you want to know will be known. It was just a vision he had. He just knew it. He just set the intention, and then he lived it. He became it. And it was natural for people to look to him for guidance, to look for him, to, to him because he was it. Wow. He was nothing but real. Right. Okay, we've talked about a couple of things. First, become aware. Second, to set your intentions. Third, to be real. And fourth, to, de- to detect those around you and what they're emanating and what their intentions are so that you can have influence in their lives. Right? I want right. to go back... I want to go back to step two for just a minute because it's really important to me. And that is setting the attention. One day, I walked into a seminar that was that Oliver was doing. And I was supposed to speak at the seminar. It happened that I was unable to make it because I am a doula and I was helping my niece have a baby. And so I walked in the second day. And everyone started coming into the room that day kind of moaning and groaning. You know that learning environment we talked about? That groan? <laughs> Tiffany? Yeah. There was a lot of that going on, groaning. And I was looking around the room, trying to detect why there was so much groaning going on. And I was thinking about what Oliver must have been teaching them, and all of a sudden I knew exactly why everyone was groaning. And I realized... Oliver had sent them all on a vision quest. And some of them came back, no problems, I can do this. Some of them and the others of them came back groaning. I will tell you, we as a society are afraid to dream. And that's what Oliver was asking them to do, and they were all groaning about it because it was very difficult and painful because we think that when we dream, it's all pie in the sky. We want to be so realistic about what is possible that we become afraid to truly dream of great and wonderful things. I want to challenge all of you. If you follow this, become aware and completely self-honest, you have my permission to dream. Dream big. Dream bigger than you ever imagined that you ever could. Set your intention. If you do not have a dream, you will go nowhere toward it. 
toward the direction that you'd like to go. It all begins with a dream. Everything begins with a dream. When I met Tiffany and she shared with me her dream, it totally floored me and scared me because I never dared to dream. And in the last couple of years, we've set intentions that I thought were absolutely impossible. I have watched the power of vision casting because we were able to dream. And no longer do I look at the dreams as high in the sky, unfounded. Now I see dreams as looking at true and real possibilities. And because I can become something God created differently than I thought, because I can realize that I can become that person, because I have watched myself become that person, the dreams have become more possible for me. So if you're thinking that dreaming is something that you don't do well, remember that this is a process. Allow the process to happen inside you. Just set the dream and have a little bit of faith in it. Are you there, Tiffany? I'm here. I'm here. You're just really inspiring. Once again, when we can be very clear about what we want and we take 100% responsibility for our life and we come to a place of humility and say, send me or say to have this, to be good and, and to do good and to be an instrument to do good. When we come to that place where we are real and we have good intentions and we hear others, vision casting is very real and there is a huge need for vision casting, for really seeing people for their true potential. That's what the coach did in facing the giants. He knew their potential. And all he did was emanate what he knew and what he felt. He emanated that until they couldn't but believe. That's what our families need. They need us to truly know what our families can be and to emanate it. Day in That's what our classroom and needs. day out. That's what our classroom schools need. I'd like to share with you a little bit of a story. For the last year, we've spent a lot of time really working with Commonwealth schools and trying to help them understand how to self-govern. And I'm telling you, it's painful and it's difficult. And it's really hard to get the vision, really hard to get the vision. Because sometimes we can't vision cast because we don't have the vision ourselves. And that's why we need a mentor who can say, okay, look, here's the possibility. Here's the vision. Here's where you can go with it. And we make all kinds of mistakes on the way. And we have to back up. And people, our minds get a little bit rigid, you know. We're going forward in this direction, and so let's go. And all of a sudden we realize we've taken two wrong turns. How do we correct two wrong turns? Let's see, two wrong turns. Oh, that's backwards, right? I turned left and then I turned left. Oh, now I'm going backwards. So I see this happening 
in our Commonwealth school where we take two wrong turns and now we're going backwards and that's not where we really want to go, we want to go forward, and how do we correct it? As people, we become rigid in our mind and we think that this is the direction we're going, so we have to go this way, and oh my gosh, now we've taken two wrong turns and someone over here, they made us go the wrong way, and then someone over here, they made us go the wrong way. Oh my gosh, I don't want to do this anymore because we're going in the wrong way and I'm not going to follow them because they're taking two wrong turns. <laughs> How do we create a community if we're talking to each other like that? How do we do it? Well, I will tell you right now, this is how we do it. Number one, we become completely self-honest. Number two, we look at the dream ahead of us and we decide if we want to be committed to that dream. And if we do, then we need to be real. And we need to realize, okay, so Susan over there has a, a weakness here. And I'm okay with that because I'm going to forgive that. And I over here have this weakness. And oh my gosh, look at John over there. He has this what amazing strength. And that's a really good strength. Let's use that recommit ourselves to the vision, the dream, the possibility, just because it looks a little, a little different than we, when we thought it was. Be okay to back up, to correct the turn. I have a community right now who voted in a board and probably wasn't ready for a board yet. They still need a mom school. And now they have a board who doesn't really have the vision, and now they're going to make two wrong turns, I guarantee you because they don't have enough people who have the vision. The very first step you have to do in creating a school is to cast the vision. And if you don't have the vision, and or if the vision was wrong at the first, what are you going to do? The very first thing in creating a wonderful, amazing family is to have the vision. What if you've made a million mistakes and you didn't have the vision when your child was zero years old, and now they're 15, and something weird is happening in your house and you don't know how to correct it. What do you do? What do you do? This is the steps. Become aware. Oh, we made a wrong turn back there. Okay. Dare to dream that I can correct that turn and then be absolutely real that you have strengths and weaknesses, and it's okay because this isn't about you. This is about God's great plan for the universe. And you are working with him, not for yourself. And then look at those around you and what they are emanating. And when you hear what they are emanating and you have the vision, you can start vision casting toward them because you have become because you're real. So if my husband gets frustrated with me because I'm not doing blah, 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 whatever, you know, and we're going back into those exact same patterns, I can decide to choose out of that and I can become aware because I am choosing to be different because I'm going to be real and I'm going to say, oh, my gosh, you're so right. I did that and I did it again and I promised you I wouldn't do it. I'm so sorry, I'm hurting you. And this isn't our vision. Let's turn around. 
you can so do huge. this. You can do this in a Commonwealth school. You can do this in your classroom. You can do this in your teaching. You can do this in your families. And you need to go watch Facing the Giants because he did it. His team was stinky. He was in the dumps. They wanted to fire him because he absolutely did not have what it took to lead a team to victory. He didn't have what it took. He finally went down to the lowest of low and said, you're right, I don't have what it takes. What does it take? Give me a new vision. And when he came to his team and he gave him the new vision, they're all like, okay, coach, that's really weird. But he just kept casting it out there and casting it out, and finally miracles started to happen. He changed the direction of that ship. That is leadership. Sorry, Tiffany, I got a little... You don't you there. dare say sorry. <laughs> okay, our question at this point, now that we have four challenges, to be honest and cognizant and aware of the intentions that you are emanating, take the time to decide what it is you really want, choose, dream, what does the ideal look like to you, accept that you have strengths and weaknesses, and that you are absolutely incredible, even right now. Hear others and love them. And Elodie, do we want to take 10 minutes of questions and answers on this topic? I think um, you could try it. Tiffany? Yes. This is Deborah. I have a quick question. Okay. What, do, what would you suggest you do if you have one person on the team that can't quite seem to catch the vision that everybody else has caught? How do you help them catch the vision? Deborah, that is such a good question. I will I'll share with you my feelings on that, okay? My feelings on that is that person usually needs to be heard. You have to do everything in your might to use your spiritual eyes to hear what they're really saying. The reason why they're not catching it is because they're trying to communicate something to you, to the world, to their family, to their friends. They have pain somewhere, or they have some deception somewhere, or they have some belief somewhere, and that has to be resolved first. And so it's might a matter I, of hearing. add something here? Yes. After you have spent time listening, and listening is a really important thing, and you feel like that you've done your job of listening and they've been heard and you have heard it back to them what they're feeling and what they're saying. If they still refuse to move toward your vision, you can still vision cast and what will happen is they will eventually walk away from it. Yeah, it's true. You have to allow choice because this isn't the path of manipulation. This is the path of, of choice and freedom. And so ultimately you need to know that they have that choice. And, and, and that happens all the time. Now, when you're listening, not only are you going to tell them what you heard them say, but this kind of listening is a two-part listening. A, you're letting them hear what they just said to you, and B, you're having a connection upwards toward heaven and begging 
to have it revealed to you what's really going on so that you can address the real issue. Oftentimes when a mentee comes to us, they don't necessarily have the eyes that you have being further up the mountain to look back and see, oh, there's a snake around the next bend. Or, oh, there's this, because you, you have different eyes than them. So you have to have that kind of connection and practice hearing what it really is. That key right there and loving them unconditionally is one of the biggest things in vision casting because why would somebody buy into our vision if they're not loved? That is the first thing. Is they have to know how much you believe in them. And that takes some work, Deborah, and you are completely up to it. <laughs> yeah, you are. Deborah, I, I want to tell you this, and this is not just for you, but it's for the good of all, because I'm thinking about this question. And what I realize is sometimes we are choosing to cast out, to project out something that we really don't mean to project. It's a choice we're making, and we don't realize it. And sometimes what it's doing is giving people a different picture. So you've got to get really clear what it is that I am projecting out. Find out if you do object, until you become one with yourself and in harmony with the energy goodness and that's really here, then sometimes we do project. And that's why the step of becoming cognizant and aware of, you know, when we're ordering two different kinds of soup and we're in a leadership position, that that's a step. That's a left step when we should have taken a right step. Yeah. And so that's always the first thing to do is say, have I, am I really one with what I'm doing? Okay, good. One more question. Tiffany? Yes. This is Belinda. Can you hear Okay, Belinda. Go ahead. I'd like you to clarify that last point. That's the one I'm a little bit fuzzy on. Duo casting? You um, said the four points and the last one I'm just fuzzy on. What, what was it? The number four, the one where we, Lucy Rand's story, detecting. Detecting others. And detecting those around us. Oh, okay. Helping others be more, to be self-honest by hearing exactly what they are saying. And I'll tell you, it's sometimes really hard because what comes out of their mouth is not what's really happening inside of them. You have to really be soft. And That's right. Like, I can have a daughter who she'll be getting really upset uh, sometimes when we have an overabundance of people or friends or something, the next two days at our house is a little difficult because at the drop of a hat she could explode a little bit. And she doesn't know what's happening. She's, she goes into the mode of blaming, oh, so-and-so did this to me or so-and-so messed up the room that I just cleaned or so-and-so. And, and this happened to us just a month ago. And it took me literally about 10 hours before I could help her because I finally stilled myself and said, okay, what is it really? And as soon as I said that, as soon as I said, what is it really, I knew. And I sat down with her and I said, Lara, honey, I really think you just need some private time. I think you've been going and I think you just need to go in your room for a couple of hours and be still. 
and she, at first she wouldn't accept it. She said, yeah, but so-and-so's being mean to me, and so-and-so's being mean to me, and the world was like crashing in around her, right? And I said, I understand that you feel that all that stuff you're telling me, but I really don't think it's the real problem. I think the real problem is you need to rest. You need to have some quiet time and rejuvenate and just be, because then you won't see the world anymore like that. I love the way that you say that to me because instead of being the parent who's the authoritative parent who says, okay, you need quiet time. You go to your room right now. You still yourself. And you said, oh, I know something about Lara. She is an introvert. She needs her own personal time. And so you can come to her in a very loving way and say, Lara, I noticed something. When you don't get enough of your own personal time, you're not happy. Can you schedule some time in your life so that you know that you get two hours every morning by yourself? I would totally honor that. Yeah. Yeah. And and it just goes along with what you said, Anelody, that sometimes what is being said is the truth. I mean, because her perception of the truth was that everybody was messing up her zone and everybody was being mean and nobody was loving her and nobody was appreciating her and, uh, you know, and all those feelings that seemed so real to her. And that's why we as mentors have to stop and ask, what is really being said? What is it that they're really telling me? And that has to come from heaven. That dawning on us, and then that's what we address. And another thing that you did, Tiffany, and I think this is a key point in detecting others, is you got out of your own way. It wasn't about you. And your experience with Lara and her grumpiness, it was about, oh, what is Lara experiencing? Yeah, you're right. Sometimes we do get in our own way because sometimes we, yeah, because things aren't going the way we want. We can be upset that somebody's having impact tearing our house apart or our classroom apart or whatever. And so then we'll not ask the right question. I will tell you, I know this has been my experience with humankind. Most people that we are working with, their intention is not to hurt us. It happens accidentally. Yeah. It's true. Think of all the people you've ever hurt in your life and how many of them were on purpose. Now, one out of 50, when you actually stole your little sister's bubble gum, you know what I mean? I mean, how many times did you really intend on hurting them versus it was unintentional, but you really hurt them? That can help us put things into perspective when it comes to forgiving others and and helping others. Okay, our time is up. This has been incredible. Anything else, Melody? One last thing. Vision casting is purposeful living. Live purposely. That's right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. Just as in every Lemmy training... We hope you walk away uplifted and inspired, but also empowered to be a better mentor for your family and your community. Please be sure to subscribe and share. We also want to express our gratitude to all the Lemmy mentors, past and present. You got this. You can do hard things.